1: Welcome into Brewcast for Amazing Brew on the SB Nation Podcast Network. I am Luke Yerdi, joined as always by Anthony Broom and Chris Castellani. We're here with you on Monday night, headed into Tuesday, and wow, do we have a good one in store for you here today? A lot to get to, but guys, uh, I gotta ask, how was the Florida trips, man? Uh, did you guys get some sun? You you, you tan a little bit anyway. Well
2: here's the thing. Uh, people since I got back, I got back like late late Thursday, early Friday morning. people keep saying, oh, I'm sorry that you had to go down there and watch that. That was an obligation like going to church on a Sunday should be an obligation. I spent I, I, the weather was was great. it was mid 60s, pretty much all week with sun and then the last couple days it was in the 80s. no complaints there. I spent two days at Disney, no complaints there. I am as refreshed and as invigorated heading into 2020 as I've ever been this time of year. So, I feel good. Um, it, it was good to get away for a few days. Uh, I know Chris's trip was a little bit different. Uh, we weren't—obviously, I was working the bowl game. Chris is doing something different. But, um, yeah, I feel good. Sports are—listen, <laughs> I was on the new Star Wars ride. Sports are like—sports are just a thing that that's out there right now. I experienced like total, complete, like the the purest happiness I think I could possibly feel the last week. So nothing, uh, you won't get any complaints from me. Twenty twenty is the year of of uh, of good vibes. So I I'm obliging that. Absolutely, Chris. How was your trip?
3: Oh, it was fun. Uh, I I don't know if uh, I had as much of a blast as Anthony did, but it was it was reinvigorating. It was very relaxing. You know, it, it's uh, it was very much something I needed to kind of decompress and get my mind off of things for a few days and you know almost almost two weeks there. So it was it was definitely a lot of fun. Obviously, Anthony and I doing uh, you know kind of different trips. Anthony going down there to to cover the game and uh, as well as have a little vacation as well. I was more down there just kind of for leisure. But uh, either way, it was fun and and we've been given you know at uh, this time of year, uh, sometimes I think uh, a lot of podcasts with football being over now uh, are given kind of a you know tough task as far as you know a minimal amount of stuff to deal with. But we have quite a bit to talk about today. I think I think this bowl game maybe not a a ton to cover but a an intriguing game nonetheless as far as just another measuring stick of where this program is at and where the fan base is at we also got some basketball to cover obviously with this team having uh one of its best players down yesterday's result in the Breslin was uh, underwhelming and and remarkably disappointing but this is a team that had a lot of eyeballs on them early on and is starting to kind of hit hit a few roadblocks here going into the new year and we're going to talk about that tonight
2: yeah, and well, not, to, not to step on Luke, but let me just say this. <laughs> the loss in the bowl game was a carbon copy, I feel like, of every single loss that Michigan has had in the last two years. So right. forgive me if I, you know, people are going to want, I mean, it, it was five days ago, so I guess they don't want that now. I don't have anything to pick apart or things like that. I, I, I have some thoughts. We'll get into them. Um, most of my thoughts I think in this podcast are going to be framed with the view of next eight or nine months into the next season so that's where I'm at well
1: Well, I want to kick it off uh, with the bowl game because, Anthony, you made the comment that people were like, oh, I'm sorry you had to go watch that game and whatnot. Like, yeah, the score is 35-16 at the end, but it it was much closer than that. Like, I don't think Michigan played that bad in this bowl game. They just didn't make enough plays to win, and that's kind of the carbon copy I think that you're talking about. But Michigan, with 13 minutes left in the bowl game, was down 21-16, and they had it first and 10 at the Alabama 30. Shea Patterson makes a terrible play trying to run and scramble. Doesn't take care of the ball. You know, where have you heard that before? Uh, They end up recovering. Charbonnet jumps on it, but it's a loss of 13. They can't get anything going. They punt it. Alabama uh, stopped on the – goes backwards a yard on their first two plays. Michigan's got them third and 11 inside their own 10. They complete a first down two plays later. They're in the end zone. That's ball game. You know, Michigan didn't make enough plays to win, but – it's not like they got ran off the field and I'd like their fight. And I know there's no moral victories in this. You know, if you're a big time college football program, you had a chance to beat Bama, but at the end of the day, I-, I liked the fight and I'm not as down on this loss as I think a lot of people are. I don't know. What what are you guys thoughts on it?
2: No. And I think because it is in a lot of ways, similar to some of the other losses they've had in the last couple of years. Like I, I, to get down about it, I, I don't – it's hard – like, you have – Jim Harbaugh talks about stealing your spine. Like, we've just seen this. So, it doesn't – let me say this. It's frustrating, for sure. Um, that game was there for them with – you know. whereas, like, here's the thing. So, like, the Notre Dame game last year where they lost in South Bend, that game – was one of those games where it was never as close as the final score indicated. This to me was the opposite of that. It was never as wide a gap as uh, the final score indicated. I I think Michigan for the most part played pretty well. And and what separated them is that um, Alabama's quarterback played better than Michigan's did. Oh yeah. And, and Mac Jones is a backup and Shea Patterson is a, you know, or was it, that era is over now. He was a two year starter at Michigan he was um, you know, a starter at Ole Miss. He was a former five-star recruit. That ended a pretty, I think we can say it now, a pretty underwhelming college career. He wasn't bad. He wasn't terrible. He did. He certainly didn't play very well in the bowl game. But it was a guy that whose career I think can be best summed up as um, good at times, never good enough, and oftentimes just not good in the biggest moments. So. Uh, not holding that against him. He had his turn. He, you know, he had his turn. He had two years. It happened. It's over. Uh, I don't think he was ever quite as bad as, you know, he was never bad enough to justify a benching after, um, you know, he turned it around about halfway through the season. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you objectively look at this game. This is a game that Michigan wins if they have a good quarterback performance. It is. I mean, you look. Yeah. Seven or eight overthrows, uh, those are just off the top of my head. I mean, missed opportunities. Um, you know, I, the play calling, I thought Josh Gaddis's play calling was, was terrific in the first half, and then um, you could say it was bad in the second half, but again, is it a matter of just executing? Is it a matter of your quarterback playing better? Like, I, I just think a lot of it starts there. Um, Michigan's offensive line, I thought, played very well. I, I thought that uh, you know, the defense... Here's the thing, is, and I said this to a couple guys that were down there. The offense played well enough enough to where you probably took, because of how much you had the football, two touchdowns off the board for them. But because you didn't execute in certain moments, you probably cost yourself two touchdowns as well. So it was like a net. I guess at the end of the game, it probably was what it should have been. Um, But like I said, people are... I thought the defense played good enough. People are piling on down Brown and I've, you know, I've been up front with I I think that it's time to change a var- variable there. I don't think it's going to happen, but I've been up front about that, but um the offense did a good job keeping that defense off the field. The defense played well enough, but then again, you go and you look and I believe Bama still ended up averaging somewhere around 9-10 yards a play. So uh, again, it's it's a little more nuanced than going in at looking at the box score. But at the end of the day, it just, um, this game summed up the season. There was a lot of good, but it just wasn't good enough and it couldn't get you a win. So, um, it is what it is. I don't think, um, uh, like I wrote earlier, uh, nobody's, Jim Harbaugh is not getting fired. They're not folding the program. You forge ahead. I think that, um, Certain guys leaving, whether it be for the pros or whether it be via transfer. Um, Let me just say this. I think that there is a there's going to be a leadership structure in place next year that I think is much better than what they had this year. And I think that's a positive for them.
3: Okay, well, I, I, you know, I agree with a majority of what you said. I think uh, I thought they played very well in the first half. I thought the offense, the offensive play calling was fantastic. Second half, I thought it stunk, to be honest. And I, I think, I think Josh Gaddis as gets a passing grade for how he uh, called the plays this season. So I don't, I don't want to pile on too much. Uh, I thought, and I don't know who's to blame for this, if it's Gaddis or Harbaugh. But one thing that really, it didn't seem was brought up by anybody, and this is shocking to me. In the first half, Zach Charbonnet was as good as we've seen him all year. Yeah. And just fantastic. Breaking tackles, going for, you know, somewhere it seemed every time five to eight yards a pop in the first half. Uh, you have the ball, you're down thirteen to fourteen, like uh, with three minutes left in the first half. Harbaugh again mismanages the clock. Uh, they got bailed out by a you know a, ver- a very uh, long Quinn-Nordine field goal, and if there is one positive to take away, really from the latter half of the season, it seemed like Nordine really took hold of the kicking job and, and was very good down the stretch. Um, but in that drive, in a first half where Zach Charbonnet was not only Michigan's best player, but the best player on the field outside of, of Judy for Alabama, Hassan Haskins touched the ball six times in a row for 17 yards. And in the second half, he got a majority of the carries. That made no sense to me. Obviously, you're playing from behind. You're going to have to start airing it out a little bit more. And in in those moments, we saw the flaws in Shea Patterson's game and the adjustments that Alabama made, and that's that they knew that Shea Patterson was did not have the ability to get the ball to Michigan's talented receivers downfield even in one-on-one coverage. You saw that in the opening drive of the game. You get a good kickoff return uh, by Giles Jackson. First pass, uh, I believe, was you know either broken up or a drop by Nico Collins. A couple plays later, they missed a touchdown because Shea overthrew Collins down the field. That was kind of the story of the entire game. Uh, as far as the the program itself, where they go from here, Look, the the most frustrating part of this game and really of this season and of Michigan football as a whole, as a program right now, is how predictable uh, they've become. You know, our podcast last week was really we talked about what could happen, what we wanted to see happen. But we've seen this movie shown many times. We've been forced to watch it over and over. You go into these games Sometimes you think they're going to win. Sometimes you think they're they're going to lose. Uh, usually, you you don't have a good feeling going into them. And more often than not, pretty much every time, uh, we're proven right in those negative assumptions. And Michigan football, yes, there is a lot of good in the program right now. The program is still generating a ton of revenue. Uh, people, unlike what was happening at the end of the Hoke and Richrod eras, people are going. To the games, Michigan football is still a, a big time brand, but I I think we're with it being year six next year. I see a path in which this could, as far as the the uh, you know revenue producing, uh, all encompassing brand that is Michigan football, I could see where this is going to start to fall apart because I think apathy at a certain point to a lot of fringe fans. With the way this program has been going over these last several years, you win you, you win eight to ten games, you lose in the bowl game, you lose to Ohio State. People are going to stop not not guys like us, but the, the fringe people are going to stop taking three four hours to go to these games or or watch this team when they are just so damn predictable right now. And it, maybe that's not fair because they these are good football teams. We're not gonna we're not gonna act like they aren't. We've seen some terrible here at Michigan in the past. This is not terrible. There's some really good teams that have come come and gone here over these last several years. But they've become remarkable. And, like, the the uh, general consensus after the Bama game was, yeah, all right, that's pretty much what I expected. And that, that stinks that we were at this kind of point of almost apathy where Michigan football is just a every team seems to be a version of of the team that came before it, maybe with a few new bells and whistles, a few different tweaks, but it's essentially been almost the same product every year, finishing with disappointing results.
1: I I would disagree in the sense that I don't think that apathy is going to breed if Michigan continues to play in big games. Like, we had apathy with Rich Rod and Brady Hoke because they just halted playing in big games. Michigan is always, like, has the attention – you know what I'm saying? Like they always have they do just enough to hold your attention. That's I, I don't think apathy is going to be a problem moving forward, but i I don't think I mean, it's an Ohio state problem right now, uh, I, I don't really expect much else moving forward. But I mean, that there is the fact that maybe there's some there's a silver lining, Anthony. I think you alluded to it. We let's move on to talking about um the departures. Here. Uh, I think we only had two leave early for the draft uh, Donovan Peoples Jones and Cesar Ruiz. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong there, Anthony. Technically, uh, Josh but, Uche, too. You could have fifth year. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. But, but for the most part, the only juniors that are leaving uh, are those two. So when we go forward here, the loss of DPJ sucks, but the return of Nico. Yeah, Mike Sanistril, You've got Ronnie Bell coming back. Love Giles G- Jackson as well. Uh, like I think they're they're returning a lot of offensive weapons here. My concern here is the offensive line uh, trying to replace four of them. But Anthony, I think you talked about it. They love their offensive line depth in this program right now. So so what do you think about these guys leaving and what Michigan is returning next year?
2: Yeah. Um, well, also can throw in there too, Tariq Black is transferring. So that's another loss. And and let me say, that, like, I'm not going to go too much into this because it was kind of something that was told to me secondhand. They're not worried about that because I I, I think, I'll put it this way, what you saw on the field down the stretch of the year in terms of his play or or his lack of snaps was kind of something that came out of practice. So if you want to draw conclusions there, you can. They're not worried about it. Uh, I think that you look at the skilled players that they have. Um, really, just an embarrassment of, of. And I'm not saying that they're as good as Ohio State or the best in the country, but an embarrassment of riches next year. You have Nico Collins, who is the best of that trio coming back.
3: Yes, um, easily.
2: And, and a guy that is. You know, I, I think he can get better as a. You know, a number one. Now he is. To me, he is the clear-cut number one option. There is no. Um, You know, there's no denying that now. Um, Mike Saner still came out at the end of the year. Giles Jackson is the guy they can do some stuff with. Uh, You see, you know... Ronnie Bell? Ronnie Bell. Uh, I mean, he's a guy that... uh, You talk about a slot guy over the middle. He's he's that, and then some. Their most productive wide receiver this year. Um, Talking about Giles Jackson, I mean, you saw... We've seen when they've got him involved in in the stuff with the jet sweeps and the jet, jet motions, like that stuff alone is throwing people off balance. And that's just because he's athletic enough to do that. Wait till he has a full summer of, of weight training and, you know, can kind of get his feet wet a little bit more, but then you've got, um, you know, Cornelius Johnson at wide receiver. You've got AJ Henning's coming in. Roman Wilson's coming in. Chris Evans is coming back and, and a guy I would expect to be uh, either a change of pace back or someone that do, they do some damage within the slot. So feel good about that assuming whoever you know we'll see who the quarterback ends up being offensive line I think that listen I mean you lost you're losing four guys one of them early to the draft and Cesar Ruiz who like I said uh there I've talked to people who say it wouldn't be a surprise if he potentially snuck into the you know the tail end of the first round but he looks like a day two pick right now um all of those guys that are leaving uh Runyon Bredesen a two-time captain, Ruiz, Anwenu. Those are all. Those guys are all Big Ten performers. So I'm not poo-pooing them moving on. But you've got Jalen Mayfield, who, you know, you can make the argument might be their top pro prospect uh, these next couple of years. Uh, aside for, you know, in addition to Nico Collins, an athletic tackle prospect. That's where the NFL is going. Ryan Hayes looks like a guy that, you know, can play left tackle. Um, he's going to have another offseason to put on some weight there. Chuck Filiaga, they think, is ready to play. Zach Carpenter was the guy who had a lot of buzz down during bowl week. Um, Nolan Rumler, Andrew Stuber is going to figure into all this. So, they feel good that they'll be able to. They're going to be able to put out an offensive line that they feel good about. Again, it might take some time for those guys to gel, but they've been playing together on the second unit anyway. So, um, I, I don't like, like. I said it's a concern. That and quarterback to me, probably the two biggest question marks heading into next season, but they feel good about that there, um, at least offensively. So, again, I'm not, I don't want to say addition by subtraction. Like, that's definitely not the case. They have guys to replace, but it actually feels like for the first time in a while, at least on the offensive side of the ball, that it doesn't seem like there's going to be much of a drop off in terms of who comes in to replace who I think they feel good about it. And, uh, you know, I, I like what I've seen as well.
1: Chris, what about your feelings, uh, for the future?
3: Oh, I was, I was stunned and very happy to see Nico Collins is coming back. I've been really, even since last year, about as big, a, a Nico Collins, uh, fan fanboy and supporter as anyone. I, I think he's remote underrated. Uh, I think he catches everything. I think he's a good route runner. Had he have decided he would have gone pro, I would not have batted an eyelash. I thought he was ready, to be honest. I think he suffered from uh, Michigan having a lot of depth at the receiving core, so maybe he didn't get as many touches as he could have, and in, you know, I'm not uh, a Shade Patterson basher, but probably at, at certain points it's, with the exception of the end you know games like the indiana and the michigan state game uh probably suffered from never really having an elite quarterback to to get him the ball i was disappointed by dpj going pro obviously you wish him the best i, I it, quite frankly i just feel like he would have benefited quite a bit from staying another year Now, this isn't like the nba where you can make you know coming back for one more year and risking injury only to move up five ten picks in the draft really isn't worth it Uh, i think he could have gone from a middle round guy to potentially being a a first round pick i think that there are flaws in his game he's a great athlete i'm sure he'll probably impress the combine but i worry about those hands we saw a lot of drops from donovan people's jones this year but uh, i guess that's all in the past now he's he's Moving on to hopefully greener pastures in the NFL, but yeah, that that's the one thing I think next year's team that everyone's going to be excited about is that they are they do return a lot of talented skill position players, Um, even with DPJ and Tariq Black gone. Tariq Black and you kind of alluded to this, Anthony, just kind of fell off. I I mean, honestly, and I, it's you said you were implying that they uh, aren't necessarily. uh, grieving that loss, and uh, I would agree. I think he his tenure turned out to be kind of disappointing here. Um, I, I really like Ronnie Bell a lot. I had a very good season this year. Giles Jackson really came alive. I like how they used him in the offense near the end of the season. I think he's a game changer, not just as a receiver, but, man, it's such, especially in college football, where field position is so important, man, having a good kick returner just does you so much good. Uh, Had some really good returns against Bama. Uh, So offensively, this will be a a fun team to watch next year. The one uh, kind of thing that I'm iffy about and I won't say discouraged about, but I think – One of the biggest separations as far as talent goes in in the Michigan-Ohio State rivalry right now, and there's many, but Ohio State has consistently put NFL backs or NFL running backs against Michigan every year. And Michigan's kind of gone over these in this Harbaugh era, somewhat running back by committee. They have, you know, Charbonnet's okay, and Haskins is okay, and Davion Smith was okay. Higdon was good. He was a 1,000-yard rusher. He was solid, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't J.K. Dobbins. Uh, I think I would really like to see, and I, I won't so much call it a question mark necessarily, but I would like to see one of these guys... I would think Charbonnet would be most likely, but we'll see one of these guys really step up and become – that kind of bruiser, that you know, one of the, the J.K. Dobbins, the the Jeremy Langford, like what Michigan State had, you know, the Le'Veon Bell's, one of those Big Ten running backs that can go for you know twelve hundred to fifteen hundred yards in a season, really put games away and establish the ground game early, which I think is something Michigan struggled with a lot, getting off to poor starts in a lot of these big games because they weren't able to move the ball offensively early on. If they could really get a bruiser in the running back position. Uh, to, to get first downs early on, to, to dominate time of possession. I think that would be just such a huge help.
1: So we wrap up another football season here in 2020, and uh, we look forward to talking about all the offseason headlines and another season starting up come August and September. But we've got a game to talk about yesterday on the Hardwood, Michigan at Michigan State. We're going to do that after a quick break here on Brewcast. And welcome back into Brewcast. Luke Yardy, Anthony Broom, and Chris Castellani here with you. We just wrapped up uh, the 2019-2020 football campaign for the Michigan Wolverines. Now we focus our attention a bit to basketball. Uh, Yesterday did not go great for the Wolverines. They were on the road to the Breslin uh, without their leading scorer in uh, Isaiah Livers. It was uh, was a hard-fought game for Michigan for most of it, but man, Cassius Winston, Xavier Tillman—they uh, put on quite the show at the Breslin yesterday, guys. Uh, I'll be honest—I I admired the fight from Michigan, but something's got to give in these road games where they start making some shots.
2: Yeah, that was uh, that game on Sunday was the first time I'd ever been to Breslin, and I, I'm, was I'm, it really? Yeah, uh, I will say something nice here. I think it's a very cool venue. Um, oh, yeah. It's better than its football counterpart. Uh, and it's a, it's loud. I mean, you really get a sense for just how far be- behind Chrysler is. As, I mean, Chrysler can get very loud, but it's never raucous to the level that, that I witnessed on Sunday. So, again, I'm not looking to pile on. I'm just saying Michigan could do more to improve their environment. Anyways, um, this game on Sunday boils down to this. One of those teams is a national title contender, and one of them might make the second weekend of the tournament but didn't have its best player playing or one of its best players it, its best offensive player um, yeah that, that's uh, it's it's about what I expected uh, I, I thought that uh, listen uh, you look at this team right now and it's I think we let a week in the Bahamas kind of get us super high um, you know you're you're almost yeah. ODing on on good vibes. Uh, they were, I believe ranked what the number four team in the country four. coming out of that yeah. week. Uh, and now after what we've seen, uh, I think they've lost now three of their last five. I believe it is. Um, this is, this is, I, I think expectations to me are kind of back to where they were coming into this season. I think this is a team that some nights they are going to be able to shoot. And it will be awesome and fun to watch. And other nights in, in, in tough environments, they're going to turtle a little bit. Because I, I think that, you know, for his. I know they have experience in, in Xavier Simpson and John Teske, but there's a lot of young pieces on this team right now. Uh, Brandon Johns, I thought, played well. I thought he played pretty well having to fill in for um, livers. And really, when you look at that game. That game was defined by what, I mean, Cassius Winston, that was one of the best basketball performance I've seen live at any level. Um, Just insanely impressed with with how he's been able to um, kind of turn things around after the tragic circumstances early on in the year. Um, And Whatever it is, I mean, Michigan brings out the best in that guy. And, you know, staying as objective as you can about it, he's a blast to watch. Yeah. To a certain extent, shame on John Beeline in Michigan for not making more of a play for him. But maybe he was always just kind of headed this direction, anyways. A- at the same time, um, you know, you, you'd like, you know, Michigan, that game was, we just talked about how the bowl game wasn't as maybe wide a deficit as the final score says. But this Michigan basketball game in East Lansing, for the, a large part of that game, was closer than it probably had any business being. At one point, yeah. I think Michigan had it down to eight with maybe seven or eight minutes left. And every time they were scratching to get closer and maybe make something happen, Cassius Winston would hit a shot or somebody on Michigan State would make a play. And that's the difference right now. Michigan doesn't have a guy, a go to guy that when they need to get something, that, that can make a play. And it's, like I said, uh, Juwan Howard, I thought. Made some rookie mistakes in this game. The technical, where he's you know, basically running out onto the floor. And I know people are going to say, oh, Tom Izzo does it all the time. He's not Tom Izzo. Uh, he's Juwan Howard. That was a um, – I think in that moment, things kind of started to unravel a little bit. And the team looked to him. Did and, and they, didn't they? they fight right back after that, though? I kind of thought that was a well-timed tee.
3: Uh, it was – yeah, I think that's kind of when that's kind of when they cut it back down to eight or nine. But then they uh, I said
2: everything leading up to that moment was kind of where things were starting to go. Hey, it, it kind of snowballed. And like I said, credit to them for again, the game was kind of a blur. Um, they, I had to stand and watch it because my my spot in the media area wasn't great, so um, I'm foggy on some of the details. I just know that at the end of the day, um, it's a Michigan team where yeah, they've got some good veteran leadership, but. I think some of the young guys are still kind of drinking out of a fire hose. And, you know, while yeah. there are going to be results like this sometimes, and, and other nights they're going to fire on all cylinders and figure it out. But, um, like I said, that's the difference to me. Michigan State's a national title contender. They've got one of the two or three best players in college basketball, and Michigan does not. And, and they aren't that right now. So that's uh, that's where we're at.
3: Right. I, I, look, I, I don't want to take a victory lap here because I'm actually – I'm not happy that I'm right, but I was one of the big components of kind of slowing, you know, slowing things down, putting the brakes on things when this team was, you know, being catapulted to number five in the country, you know, because you know they won three really good games in the Bahamas. Um, and the reason, and look, not to take discredit any of those wins, though North Carol, the North Carolina win is remarkably less impressive than it was a couple weeks ago. The Gonzaga win is still maybe the best win that any team. Has had uh, this season in college basketball, you know, as far as a Big Ten team goes. That was uh, that was a remarkable victory, and and they played great in that tournament. They also shot the lights out of the ball. I mean, they they shot really well in that tournament. And we've seen so since then where this team will struggle uh, and how this team differs from the last couple iterations of Michigan basketball, and that's that they do not have. The uh, prowess defensively that the last couple teams had, last the last couple years, they Michigan basketball was able to win some slugfests. That you know you go back to the Elite Eight against uh, against uh, Florida State, the Final Four against Chicago Loyola. I mean, those were some ugly games where they were not shooting well, but they were able to stay in it and ultimately win because the defensive unit was just so good. You see a lot of lapses defensively this year. I you had a lot of really good looks yesterday, especially in the first half. And, uh, they took advantage of it. They executed and they made their shots, which earlier in the year was something they weren't doing. But I think that's going to be something to look at going forward. This is not as cohesive a defensive team as we've seen the last couple of years. Now, this does not mean that this Michigan team is not incapable of beating some other really good teams on their schedule because I think we're still going to have several days in which Michigan does shoot the ball really well. Eli Brooks has disappeared over the last three, four games. I mean, he's been essentially non-existent, and he was not good yesterday. And he was incredible early on in the season. And I I don't think – I don't know if maybe cutting down his minutes would help. I'm a big David DeJulius fan. I think David DeJulius has more upside than almost anybody else on this basketball team right now. I think he's a guy who is a, a – a, point guard but a score first point guard with the capability of playing the two and if juan howard wants to entertain that idea i would say potentially giving to julius more minutes at the two and maybe giving brooks some time off uh at points to try until he finds his game again might help that's just an idea but ultimately like like you said anthony it, yesterday came down to the fact two things one they're missing one of their best players but and as you struggle with injuries, too, and this has been something that's been uh, very made, very apparent. If you follow Michigan State media at all, that they've been missing Langford and, and obviously with the Hauser situation as well. Uh, and the Langford fact that,
1: doesn't even count, though.
3: I like, know. I know, dude. I that's <laughs> and
1: even it's like coming, saying Michigan's without Jordan Poole and Iggy Brozdakis.
3: I know. And even coming into this year when they said, oh, wait, let, wait till Langford comes back. I'm like, you guys know Jeremy Langford hasn't played organized basketball in like a year. He's not going to come back and be and be some mid-range god. But I know you that's a fair point. I know it's just something I hear all the time, but uh, what what it's come down to is that in these last when Michigan beat Michigan State those two years in 2018 or those two times, I'm sorry, back in 2018. And they had and even the when they beat them uh, that time in Chrysler in 2017. And even going back to all the games they've won against Michigan State uh, over, you know, since Beeline took over, the reason they won those games for the most part is that the best player on the floor wore maize and blue, whether it be Trey Burke, whether it be Mo Wagner, whether whether it be Derek Walton. Last year, they lost those three games because Cassius Winston took over in two of them, and in the third one, he took over at the end. That was more Matt McQuaid played the game of his life in the Big Ten tournament. But I think going forward. Michigan uh, is going to struggle losing to or beating teams uh, that have the best player on the floor, whether it be Maryland or Ohio State or any any of these other really good teams in the Big Ten. Now, one thing, if there is a silver lining to any of this, uh, and I think this is worth noting, right now, Michigan basketball for next year has the fourth best recruiting class in the country behind Duke, UNC, and Kentucky. So the, I think we're looking potentially, depending on how these guys develop, though in college basketball it's different than, than football or any other sport, guys come in and make an impact right away. Right now we're looking at that narrative of Michigan not having the best player on the floor potentially changing very soon. Isaiah Todd, assuming of course he still does come to Michigan, would be the best recruit in the history – of Michigan basketball. That's not me speaking. That's the media speaking. That's that's rivals.com and, and all these five and all these rating systems that have him as this highly ranked of a player. That's absurd. And if there's one thing Michigan's has struggled definitely over this last month or so, if there's one thing you cannot deny, it's that Juwan Howard has recruited his ass off in his time at U of M. And that's one thing. Even if this year doesn't turn out the way we want it to, there is a major light at the end of this tunnel. There's some ballers coming to U of M real soon.
2: Yeah. I think I, for me, I, I think that's what, that's why I'm like, I'm not fretting any of this. Cause I'm like, this is it's year one. It's a foundational year. You want the younger guys who, I mean, quite honestly, some of these guys that are starting now will be role players next year because if yeah. Isaiah Todd comes, he's going to start. If Josh Christopher somehow comes, that guy's going to start. So it's like, all of this experience that these guys are getting, like, I get it. We're used to Michigan being, you know, we'll say it, a national title contender in the last you know, last couple of years. But um, you just set the foundation now. And, and like I said, there's been far more good than bad with Joan Howard. Like, all of those questions, can he coach, those have been answered to me. Um, now, there's a lot of conference games left to play, but uh, I have no doubt he's, you know, he's qualified and he's shown himself to be – I think good in the way he handles things right now. It's like what you get out of the guys you have that are going to be back next year. And some guys may transfer and move on, whatever, like everything that you get out of these guys this year is gravy because next year and what they like number four recruiting class in the country, even if you, like I said, they they might lose Isaiah Todd, but there's going to be someone else waiting in the wings there. Um, Whether it be a, you know, like I said, they're not going to stop recruiting anyone. So I'm not, again, I'm not worried about it. I'm not like the only thing that would be disappointing to me at this point is if they don't make the tournament at all. And I, I again, I look through the, I don't see that happening. I think I still think they have a good team and, and enough to get there, but um it's, they're just not, they're just not what three games in three days back in November uh, has some people thinking that they were, they, they didn't peak and they, you know, it, that North Carolina win is not holding up right now. Now the Gonzaga win will, um, yeah, big time. But North Carolina stinks, and so <laughs> again, um, I think those Iowa State North Carolina are the number fifty-five and fifty-eight teams on Ken Palm right now. So those are wins that you're like, okay, tip of the hat. Those are those are good wins, but um, perhaps they're just not, like like I said, I, I I think we're back to sort of best case scenario preseason. Thoughts on this team right now. I, I don't think they're a team that's going to miss the tournament. I don't think they're a team that that lacks talent. Uh, I just think they're a little inconsistent right now, and that's what happens when you're young. Um, so uh, people complain yeah. about Xavier Simpson. He is what he is. Some people complain about John Teske. He is what he is. Those guys are seniors. Um, again, just sit back and let it play out. This is a process right now, and a lot of a lot of programs go through. These foundational years, just hoping their team can win 14 or 15 games, or maybe do something. Michigan's got a shot to win 20 games here and make the tournament. And I think that that's what the expectation was coming into the year, at least for me. And I think that's what it should be moving forward. So we'll see what happens.
3: Yeah, and, and I do want to say one more thing is regarding Juwan. I and I know you weren't you weren't saying this, Anthony, but I I thought yes, their game plan yesterday. Was completely fine. I mean, like there was nothing that Juwan did as a coach. The looks were even fine.
2: Shot attempts were yeah. fine. they're just not hitting him.
3: Right. Yeah. Exactly. And, and they dude, they threw everything at Cassius. I mean, they tried Simpson on him. They tried Wagner on him. Te, you know, Teske was obviously mismatched, but they tried him on him on him. MSU was hitting getting, getting shots. I mean, I I think the lapses defensively have more to do with just a you know lack of execution than it does coaching. So I, I don't really. Uh, have any issue with the way this team has been coached so far? If anything, they've kind of overachieved. Yeah, I mean there was there was a lot of people, including myself, who were very down on this team, and they've. I mean, if you would have told me preseason, Michigan was going to lose uh to Michigan State without Isaiah livers at the Breslin I would have said they would have lost by 30. Yeah. So in a way, you know, having it at, at a 9-point game and I don't do the moral victory stuff. You guys know this. By having it at a 9-point game with 10 minutes left, uh shows that there is still there's still been a lot of growth on this team. Yeah.
2: No
1: question about it, man, and and a lot of ball game left. Um in this basketball season, a lot of room for improvement, and we'll just have to see what happens. But uh, I think that's pretty much all we got for uh, today and uh, another great show, unless you guys have anything else you want to add real quick.
2: No, I mean, I just a quick little addendum to what Chris's final point was. I mean, again, at some point, you just need to take your hat off to a guy like Cassius Winston in Michigan State. Like They tried the drop coverage uh, with the ball screens. They, they switched up. They tried hedging. Like everything just everything just didn't work. Because that's just how good you know it's not as simple as, you know, some of the people I've seen in comments or on Twitter are like, Oh, well, duh, Cassius Winston's their best player. Like, of course like how you just not throw the kitchen sink at him and shut him down? Like that's not how basketball works. Do you think
3: like if it if it were that easy, somebody else would have done it by now.
2: Yeah. Do you think everyone comes into an NBA game going gosh, you know, if we just shut LeBron James down, I mean, like, he's, right. you know, he's a good offensive, like, he can score, he can just, like, it, it doesn't work like that. Like, basketball is a game that simply can be dictated by an individual. Um, You know, if you want to, if you want to kind of get on him for, you know, maybe leaving some guys open from the, like, Michigan State hit shots and Michigan didn't. Like, that's basketball. It happens. Um, right. You know, chances are more often than not, you're going to lose... Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven games in a year. So they lost four. There's there's a lot there's a lot of basketball left to be played. You just uh, you take a game for what it is in the vacuum of one game and you move on. So we'll see what happens Thursday night against Purdue. Doesn't get any easier. Uh, Purdue at right. home. They go to and then they go to Minnesota and to Iowa. So um, it's tough. Tough. I mean, whether Livers is back or not in these next couple of games, which again, very different. Listen, I'm not the caliber athlete that Isaiah Livers is by any stretch. He's got about a foot on me, and you know maybe seventy, eighty pounds. Uh, you do that, like what happened to his groin, or at least what looked like what happened. That's a month injury. Um, if he, if he, there's any type of tear or pull. So you just kind of let it. You know, we they need him in February or March. They don't need him in January. You know, some tough games coming up, but. Um, I still think they have enough pieces to win a few of those games. So we'll see what happens. That we will. All right. Chris,
1: where can we find you on social media?
3: Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter. That's at Castellani2014. That's at C A S T E L L A N I 2014. Uh, tons of content still to come. We got videos for Michigan basketball. Uh, a lot of movie posts lately. I still have some more films to see, and with it being uh, awards season right now, a lot of commentary there. And uh, if you, my Snapchat is the same as my Twitter handle. And if you want to see me on Instagram, that's ChrisCastle95. That's C H R I 9 5 I also have a YouTube page that I'm not sure what I'm doing with, but if you want to follow me there, the link to that is in my Twitter. So please go ahead and follow me on all of those platforms.
2: Anthony, how about you? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Anthony Broom, Follow the website at MazenBrew. Oh, we're on Instagram as well. Uh, trying to get that rolling into the new year. You can get our shows. Wherever you get your shows, Apple, iTunes. Apple and iTunes is the same thing. I, I swear to God I do this at least once or twice a month. Um, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, all those places. 2020 is the year of good vibes, and it's also the year of shooting shots. So put up, put your good vibes into the world, shoot your shots, and, and see what happens. So. That's my message for today. I love it. I love it. A little uh, little motivation here on Brewcast.
1: You can find me on Twitter at LukeGuardi, L-U-K-E-G-H-I-A-R-D-I. Follow the Brewcast show page as well, and uh, that'll do it for us here today. Subscribe, leave a review for all of our shows and content where you get your podcasts by search at Mesa Brew Podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. We'll be back with a brand new Podcast for you tomorrow for Maze and Brew, and we'll see you next week on Brewcast.